Hey, Anthem, open up to the book of John, chapter 14. We are journeying through the book of John, and we are aiming to end around Easter time. And uh, I just want to let you know, uh, all of the archives for our journey through John is on our podcast feed, on our YouTube page, on our website. So if you want to go back and revisit anything, or if you've missed some along the way, please do go back and check out some of those previous teachings. Today, we're going to be looking at the back, like two-thirds of John, chapter 14. So put your thumb there. But while you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had this thought that goes something like this? If only Jesus were actually here with me, life would be so much easier. Or like, if only he were actually here, like he was there with the disciples in the Bible. This whole following Jesus thing would actually be so much easier. Have you ever had that thought before? I certainly have, for sure. This thought that goes like, it would be so much easier, so much better. I could be so much more effective. I wouldn't be so confused. I wouldn't mess up all the time. I wouldn't sin all the time if I could just like be right next to Jesus. And maybe we've, if we look back in our life, we've maybe thought, um, and, and that thought experiment has like been a bit of a scapegoat for why we're not as serious about following Jesus. But I think more often than not, I think we're generally trying to follow Jesus and it's genuinely hard and we genuinely think it would be better if we were just right next to Jesus. And not to totally shatter your whole world in this moment, but that is actually an incredibly unbiblical supposition. It's actually an unbiblical way of thinking about life with Jesus. And it's wrong on on two fronts. One is that the evidence we have in the gospel of people actually being with Jesus in the flesh is not a good case for it'd be better if Jesus was actually here, right? Some of his closest friends denied and betrayed him. His disciples frequently did not understand what he was talking about or doing. And the religious leaders, those who should have been on the lookout for this Messiah and known better, rejected him. His disciples often even tried to change his mind or get him to do something different when they didn't agree with him. Imagine that. Some thought he was crazy. People didn't understand him, not even those closest to him. But also the second reason that supposition is wrong is in this text and several other like texts throughout the Bible and even in the coming chapters in John, Jesus actually says it's better that he goes. Isn't that crazy? He actually says it's better. He's like, no, 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 I I could be here with you physically, but it will be better if I go. Why? Why would he say that? Well, that brings us to the text that we're in today. So let's start up in verse 12. Um, It's a pretty lengthy text, and I'm not going to read the whole thing actually up front, but have your Bible open if you are able, and we're just going to be kind of working through the text here. There's a couple of big sections, but we start off right in verse 12, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father. Okay, Jesus says it's better that I go because I'm going to the Father. We don't know what that quite means yet, but Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the same things I do and even greater things, and it will actually be better, and they will be able to do those things because I'm going to the Father. Okay, let's keep reading. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay, so whatever we are asking in the name of Jesus, Jesus will do, and it's actually a way of like the Father being glorified in the Son. Still don't quite know what this means. Let's keep going. Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Again, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is a huge, huge deal. We cannot just run past this. What Jesus is saying here is that we cannot follow Jesus and not do what he says. Now, how often has that described our life? Maybe believing in Jesus, following Jesus, but not actually doing what he did or what he said. Jesus often says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And Jesus is saying, first of all, whatever you do, whatever you ask, like, you're going to do the same things I do. They're going to be even greater. And if you do them in my name or ask for things in my name, I will do them for you because the Father will be glorified in your doing of my works. This is interesting. But skip down a few verses to John 14, verse 21, where he continues this idea. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Interesting. Jesus is tying love to obedience yet again. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Remember, at the very beginning of John chapter 14, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and the only way to the Father is through me. And Jesus says, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. He's still positioning himself as this conduit between us and the Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. It's ongoing, present. I will manifest myself to him. Judas, John clarifies, not Iscariot, not the one who just walked off and is about to betray him, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Once again, tying obedience and love together. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. This is interesting. This idea of make our home within is the same idea of abide, of dwell, that, we're gonna, that we saw in John chapter 15. Abide, dwell, make my home are all kind of these same root ideas. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. This is a, there's a key movement that is taking place here in Jesus' statement. And it's this movement from observer of the works of God to participants in the works of God. There have been moments here and there where the disciples have got to pitch in, but by and large, what we've seen in John so far is the disciples watching Jesus do stuff, right? He's been healing people. He's been turning water into wine. He's been raising people from the dead, and they're sort of there with them. And yeah, different gospel accounts, we have them doing like little kind of journeys or little exorcisms or little teachings on their own, but by and large in the gospels, The disciples are following Jesus around, observing what he is doing. And this is not altogether foreign because much of the Jewish religion was observation of things, observation of laws, observation of rituals, etc. But notice the movement here. As Jesus is connecting love to obedience and followership and discipleship to obedience, Jesus is actually moving his disciples from observers to participants in the works of God. 
Now, there's a couple of ways you can read that. One, you could read it and be offended that Jesus ties love and obedience together, and you could just be ruffled by that. The other way you could see that is the God of the universe is inviting you to do stuff with him. And actually, a marker of our relationship with him is that we do stuff with him, that we partner with him, that we actually do the same works that Jesus did and even greater ones. And that is a demarcation of who we are as children of God. Now, that sounds grandiose, but if we're being honest, doing what Jesus did sometimes feels impossible. Am I right? And here's the truth. It is by yourself. So far, Jesus has said, you will do the same things I did and you'll do them greater. It's like part of our relationship will be you actually doing the same things that I did and the things I'm commanding you to do. That's how people know you're going to love me. That's how you'll know the love of God is there. It's like love and obedience all wrapped up is you are going to do what I did and even greater works than these. But this seems impossible because by ourselves, it is impossible. So the other aspect to John chapter 14 is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus telling us why the Holy Spirit inside of us is better than Jesus beside us. Jesus is telling us why the Spirit inside us is better than himself, Jesus, beside us. Look at John chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus says. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Jesus says, I will send the helper. Who is the helper? We know the helper is the Holy Spirit. And the whole idea of the Holy Spirit is that God's presence would be in you and with you, helping you. That they would be in you and with you as God's presence was in Jesus and with Jesus, helping him. As Jesus teaches that the same Holy Spirit that is in him will be in us. That What that doesn't mean is that in nature we are the exact same as Jesus. That means that the same Spirit the same helper from which Jesus operated, that spirit is in us through Jesus' finished work of bringing us into his family. Part of being in the family and the kingdom of God is we get his presence with us always. Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 28, after his resurrection, I'm with you always till the end of the age. What Jesus is doing here in John chapter 14 is giving us a bit of a description of that Spirit of God that was with Jesus while he was on earth that he is now giving to us. What does the Holy Spirit do? Jesus says, John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is teacher, and it reminds us of Jesus. J.D. Greer, in his book, Jesus Continued, says this, quote, The Spirit points to Jesus' words and works, not his own. In fact, there is a certain irony in how the Spirit operates. 
whenever he is really present, you're not thinking about him, you're thinking about Jesus, end quote. Jesus understood this magnitude and calling in light of what he's sharing in John chapter 14, that we'd actually do the same works he did and do even greater works than him. He understands how huge that is. We are being asked to participate in the furthering of God's work, but you're not alone, and you're not expected to do it alone. You have the Holy Spirit to help, to intercede, to advocate on your behalf, And through you, you will see the works that Jesus did and even greater works done in your obedience because the Holy Spirit is with us forever to encourage us, to equip us, to empower us to say yes to the things that God is asking us to do. Now, knowing we may not know quite what to do with all this, Jesus reiterates the call to peace and an untroubled heart. That's how he starts John 14 and that's how he ends John 14 with peace and an untroubled heart. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Remember John chapter 20. This is like the point of John's biography of Jesus, that you may believe. That's why Jesus predicts his own death, that you may believe. It's why Jesus calls out Judas as the one who will betray, that you may believe. And Jesus frequently says, look, I'm telling you what's about to happen, that you would believe, that you would live in this wholehearted trust and allegiance to me because I've proved myself faithful. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And the narrative then shifts as they're on their way to the garden. And so the next couple of chapters of Jesus' teaching is on these dark streets as Jesus is telling his disciples, John chapter 15, 16, and 17. Jesus is reminding them that while the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is coming, Jesus himself is going to leave. And remember, this is for our benefit. He's leaving them with this new kind of peace, not one seen in the world before. The peace that exists when God's plan is on track in the midst of crazy circumstances. Jesus has over and over and over told them, I'm leaving you. Someone will betray me. I'm going to die. The Son of Man will be persecuted. And there's this new kind of peace that exists because God's plan is on track. Salvation is available. Humanity is being restored to a right relationship with God where man and God can abide in the same space, which is in you, the human actual body, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And these are incredible realities that must shape our worldview. And that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples, shaping a new worldview, a worldview of peace and not turmoil. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. So therefore, we live with the appropriate amount of peace that correlates to not being in war with God anymore, not being in rebellion to God anymore, not living in disobedience to God anymore. The peace that we have comes because Jesus is ascending to the Father, 
and sending his spirit to be with us. He is going, he tells his disciples, and that's a good thing because then I can send the helper who will not only remind you of everything I've said and done, will empower you to obey me in a way the world has never seen before. And the great truth of this passage is really nestled in, for me at least, John 14, verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I wonder if um, that thought that we often have of, wouldn't it be better if Jesus was here with us? I wonder if we have that thought because we're lonely. Because it doesn't actually feel like God is close. Because it's hard to live the life that God's called us to live. Because we maybe actually don't believe Jesus when he says, I won't leave you. I won't orphan you, but I'm actually with you. I wonder if that question, sometimes in in jest, sometimes in in all seriousness, when we ask and think and dwell on that idea that wouldn't it just be better if Jesus were here with us? I wonder if it's because we're struggling to believe Jesus is here with us. And that the Spirit inside us is better than Jesus beside us. And if for no other reason... Because Jesus said so. I wonder what it might look like to to live a life, to live out your week, to live out your month in full awareness that the presence of God is in you. I wonder if that might shape the kind of decisions we make, that Jesus is with you. I wonder if it might shape how we spend our money, our time, I wonder if it might shape how we deal with the temptations that creep into our life. I wonder how it might shape how we speak to our spouse or our kids or our friends when they upset us, when they disappoint us, when they frustrate us, when they let us down. I, I just wonder what it might look like if the people of God actually believed that the spirit inside of them was better than Jesus beside them. I, I wonder what it would look like for us as a community to grapple with this realization that Jesus is in us. He's here. There's no incantation. There's no formula. There's no magical prayer to bring Jesus here. He's here with you and with me. So much as we've been talking about rule of life over the last few months and kind of renewing our community rule of life together as a church, so much of the heart and actually practice of the rule of life is to just make space. Make space to commune with a God who is trying to commune with you. To dwell with a God that is dwelling with you. To simply make space. Make room for him. He is there. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to listen to you. Do we make space for him? And I wonder if there might be just in way of a practice to integrate into our lives, um, just maybe a, a portion of the community rule of life that you've yet to integrate that purposely makes space to enjoy Jesus, to remember his presence is with us, and to be attentive to his presence in us. I wonder if there's maybe something on your personal rule of life you've yet to integrate, or maybe something on that on our community rule of life that we've yet to integrate. But that would maybe be my challenge for you coming out of this. As Jesus says, our ability to 
love him well, to obey him well, to enjoy the life he's given us, stems from him actually being with us. So let us remember that he actually is with us. And part of our role, our responsibility, our job as followers of Jesus is to be attentive to and aware of the Spirit of God that already indwells inside of us. Jesus, I ask that as we consider this text, as we consider what it means to live with your Spirit, um, and as we even maybe take steps to make space to be attentive and aware of the Spirit, your Spirit living inside of us, I pray that your Spirit would, in Jesus' words, manifest to us in a way that maybe surprises us, maybe reaffirms our trust in you, maybe reminds us of your faithfulness and your togetherness with us. Yeah, Jesus, I I ask as we are maybe even just taking baby steps and, and figuring out what it means to live our lives with an awareness that you yourself have taken up residence inside of us, Let's pray that maybe in some big way, maybe in just a small way, you would remind us that that you're here with us. That maybe if we're struggling with actually believing that, you would do things just like you did throughout John. That you would do things to remind us you're here so that we would believe. I pray for those who are maybe honestly unsure if you are with them. I pray that you would give them an assurance of salvation and assurance of your presence that can only come through you. There's nothing we can do. We can't muster that on our own. We ask for these in your name, Jesus. Amen.